It's HSK Today, a weekly in-depth look at the Henderson Silver Knights and the AHL with your host, Brian McCormick. And here we go, live from Pechanga Arena in San Diego. This is HSK Today. Brian McCormick here, you there. Jared Justice on the other side of the glass as we talk horse hockey and get you set for the Silver Knights and San Diego Gulls this evening. This is a game day HSK today, so we'll break down what to expect. I mean, usually we talk about tonight and the night ahead and the, the week ahead, and, well, that's pretty accurate uh, in this program still because the Silver Knights have three consecutive games against the San Diego Gulls coming out of the break tonight at Pechanga Arena, their first ever visit. Uh, first ever, pardon me, first visit this season to Pechanga Arena, uh, and then they'll play Friday and Sunday at the DLC. So lots to discuss as the Henderson Silver Knights look to continue what has been a very strong run for them of late, despite the one nothing shutout loss that sent them into the break. Uh, nonetheless, the uh, common threads for the HSK of rock-solid goaltending remain. Uh, the challenges of scoring remain as well. But again, right now we were tonight game 31 of 72. You're at that point where you hope that certain players get hot and that there are ebbs and flows of the season, no question. But that's kind of what this team is. is. It's a team that uh, doesn't overwhelm you with offense but plays structured defensively, gets good goaltending, and wins close games when they are winning. And in December, they have been winning. So we'll break down the week to come with San Diego. We'll also get uh, better acquainted with our new friends, our new partners with the Silver Knights at the Southern Nevada Health District and Dr. Court Loff will hop on for the second segment to chat about well, some of the important seasonal health uh, advisements that you can take uh, heed of in the uh, latter stages of December. I know that for myself, with the hectic craziness of the season, and then you get a couple of days break, which uh, were lovely, by the way, uh, you get a couple of days break, and your uh, your body, your immune system almost says, oh, we can relax now, and that's when you get hit with something. So uh, Dr. Kordloff will hop on, and we'll, we'll chit-chat with him. And then in the final segment, in a lengthy final segment, we caught up with Chris Peters of Flow Hockey, and you probably uh, recognize his name, and I would hope his work, uh, as he's been a, a prospects insider on the uh, hockey side for a uh, better part of the last decade, really, uh, working with the uh, with ESPN and CBS Sports. Now he is with Flow Hockey and Chris Peters over at the World Junior Tournament uh, in Canada this week. Happy, uh, happy that he was able to hop on a, a Zoom call earlier today and get us caught up with the tournament as a whole and some of the VGK prospects who are participating, and especially those uh, with Czechia, the uh, likes of Matthias uh, Sapovalov, uh, who signed an entry-level contract this week, uh, and also uh, Jacob uh, Brabanitz having a really good tournament so far for, I don't know if you want to say a surprise Czechia roster, but uh, boy, have they gotten off to a good start while uh, teams like Canada were a little slow out of the gate. The U.S. Uh, won its opening game, but they were uh, sweating a little bit in the third period of, uh, of their opener as well. Uh, and of course, there's World Junior action going on as we speak, including the U.S. Uh, today taking on Slovakia. So we'll hear from Chris Peters and uh, what we discussed earlier today. Really insightful and uh, really enjoyable chit-chat with Chris Peters. You have that to look forward to. So as we turn our attention to today, to tonight, and to the uh, upcoming stretch for the Silver Knights, again, it's a Silver Knights team that's been playing good hockey. It's been, they've been playing very well over the course of the uh, really the entire month of December. 
and even despite the loss to the Coachella Valley Firebirds uh, on Friday prior to the break, this is still a Silver Knights team that is 5-2-2 two, two over its last nine, uh, playing a lot of low-scoring hockey, but uh, they've been getting the goaltending to, to manage that kind of pace. Uh, and, you know, it's going to be so fascinating to see as the uh, as the year continues. Seven teams are going to get out of the Pacific D- Division for the playoffs, and the Silver Knights are certainly uh, within reach of that. Silver Knights come into this for, uh, first game back from the break. They are three points back, three points back of the San Jose Barracuda for that seventh spot in the Pacific. Silver Knights are also one point ahead of Bakersfield. Bakersfield with three games in hand uh, and and well above the San Diego Gulls, who they won their last game before the break over the Tucson Roadrunners. That snapped a 12-game losing streak, all in regulation for the San Diego Gulls, who have just had a, a nightmarish first half of the season, and that includes in this building where the Silver Knights historically have really been challenged. A, uh, the Silver Knights 0-4 all-time here at Pechanga Arena, and in that four-game span, all of them played last season, mind you. The Silver Knights have been outscored 18-6 to in this building, so this has been a very challenging place for the Silver Knights to play uh, since last season when the goals following the uh, COVID hockey came back to their home barn. They played the first uh, HSK season did the Gulls uh, in Irvine at the uh, Ducks uh, facility. So uh, this has been a tough place to play, but for the Gulls, they have had just, and again, this has always been a tough place to win for any team, not just the Silver Knights, but this year, not the case. The Gulls are 2-13-0, 2-13-0 in this building. Uh, just unheard of for the San Diego Gulls uh, who have had a rough go of it, but do have talent on the roster that makes you look and you, you scratch your head you say well they shouldn't be this bad uh they, their record should be better with some of the talent they have uh it just hasn't panned out that way but they'll be looking to to right the ship as they get a little bit healthier get a couple of bodies back and goaltender ollie erickson eck sent down from the anaheim ducks earlier today he's expected to get the start tonight he has had a very very difficult season to this point he's 0-5 still looking for his first win of the 2022-23 campaign. But with Erickson and Lukas Dostal, who has had terrific individual numbers despite the team's lack of success, uh, they've been up in Anaheim a lot lately, and that certainly has made it difficult for the goals to find any kind of consistency. So all of that said, Silver Knights playing well, and uh, while the goals getting a few bodies back, it does appear uh, the Silver Knights come into the... Uh, coming to San Diego a, a little bit banged up, a little bit dinged up, and, and also uh, suffering from, I say suffering from, the players are happy, but impacted by, better phrasing, uh, some call-ups to the VGK. Right now, Jonas Romberg, Pavel Dorofiev, Braden Pahal, all up with the big club, uh, as is uh, Daniil Miramanov, who has been for a while, and again, it, it, very, very good chance he will be up there for the uh, foreseeable future. So uh, for the Silver Knights, a little thin in terms of just manpower tonight uh, in San Diego, and that's why you saw the call-up earlier today of defenseman Brandon Estes, uh, who has been playing the first portion of this season with the Savannah Ghost Pirates. Uh, Brandon Estes, who spent last year, the end of last season, with the Tucson Roadrunners for a 10-game audition after leaving, uh, I say leaving, graduating from Union College. So a young defenseman with uh, offensive promise, uh, and so far this season, nine points in 27 games with the Savannah Ghost Pirates in his true 
rookie season. We'll get a look at Brandon Estes. So for more uh, perspective on how the Silver Knights feel, how they look coming out of the break, we caught up with Manny Viveros earlier today, as we usually do on game days. And he says he likes the way his team looks after last night's skate. The team did get into the uh, into Pachanga Arena last night, hit the ice for a little bit just to shake out some of the cobwebs. And hearing from Manny Viveros, again, he uh, likes the legs on his guys uh, in these early moments out of the Christmas break. Here's what Manny Viveros had to say. With head coach Manny Viveros, uh, Manny, first day back or first game back from the break, how's everybody look? Good. Uh, you know, surprisingly, you know, you expect uh, a little bit of rust, uh, but we had a chance to skate last night and then also this morning. And so um, I thought we looked, uh, you know, energized, re-energized. Uh, that's a good way to put it. And uh, I thought uh, our practice last night, especially this morning, was pretty crisp. So, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, you expect a little bit of rust after a break like that, but uh, I like the way we looked uh, for sure. This is the first game back from the break, and right now you guys are dealing with call-ups to the VGK, a little bit banged up as well. Is this a game that more than others maybe requires attention for, for ice times, or can it be approached like any other game? Well, no, no, good point, really good point. Like, we're, first of all, we're used to this. That's, that's, that's why we're here. You know, if, if they have injuries or whatever reason, uh, they need our players, that, you know, they're going to take them, and that's why we're here. So um, a great opportunity for other players to get more ice time in, in different situations, and, uh, you know, I think it's just something that uh, we do have to adjust a little bit. Uh, certainly, if our lineup is a little bit uh, uh, shorter in some areas, uh, but that's something that uh, you know it's a it's a great uh, learning experience and, and development part of these kids uh, to learn uh, different ways to play the game when you're not 100% uh, complete as your team. Uh, I'm not sure if that makes any sense, Brian. But uh, to, long story short, it, it's going to be good. It's good for some of these players to be put in different situations for sure. Uh, you've gotten exceptional goaltending from both Aram Brassois and Yuri Patera for really the, the past month. Does, does that affect the way the rest of the team is able to play? Are they a little looser when they're getting that kind of goaltending? I, I wouldn't say looser, but, but certainly more confident. You know, when you have goaltending like we've been getting, uh, you know, if you make a mistake, uh, they're there. And they're there to, you know, bail us out of those situations. Like maybe we're not, uh, you know, have the momentum for four or five minutes during a game. And having an opportunity to keep us in those games, to make the right save at the right time. And they've done that. And uh, as I certainly you can see uh, our guys are, are certainly confident when they're in, in both those guys are net. And we certainly, uh, you can see the way we played over the last uh, five to six weeks. Brendan Brisson, I've talked with Darren Elliott a little bit about this. He says he sees him more assertive, more impactful around the perimeter and in his full 200-foot game. Yeah. Is, is he showing growth in those areas? Yeah, no, I certainly have. There, there was a reason for that at the beginning of the year where uh, Brendan maybe wasn't a, a complete 100%, and you can see the energy and the confidence in, in, in his, his, his body, so to speak, as far as being able to get into those situations and, and be comfortable. And I really like the way he's been playing. San Diego's had a challenging first half of the year, but what are some of the things that they do well that you guys need to keep an eye on? You know, they always play us well. Uh, historically, even last year, you know, different team, uh, different staff, everything, though, but they've always played us well. At, um, you know, uh, this is a real tough place to play. There's no question about it here. Uh, it's a, you know, it's an older building. It, it's darker. It, it just, you know, it, it's got everything set up to be, a, you know, the, a tough place to play in that. And that's something that uh, we have to learn to overcome as a, as a group here. Um, it's still ice. It's still a ice surface. And, and, and you know, uh, five guys playing against five guys on the ice, uh, five on five here. So that's something that we uh, certainly have to just overcome like that. But uh, they seem to, uh, over the last couple of years, have had our number here. But uh, we'd like to think that we maybe have a little bit of a book on it now and how to correct that. Thanks, Manny. Thanks, Brian. And that was head coach May Viveros this morning. And 
Uh, again, you, you hear him reference the fact that this is a difficult building to win games. It's an older building, and, uh, and shame on me, folks. And for tonight's broadcast, I'll uh, I'll try to find the, the Wikipedia background of the building's biography. Again, I've used it before, but I, I don't want to speak off the cuff now and, and be wrong. But this is a building that has been around a while. Uh, old bones, and I, I say this in a complimentary way, it's, it's a cool vintage kind of, of building. Uh, for minor league sports, if I'm not mistaken, and again, I'll I'll, I'll come with this uh, cemented and, and certain tonight uh, for the broadcast. But if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that the Clippers played here when they played in the NBA out of San Diego. Uh, I do believe this was the building, and and again, it just it has uh, shadows, and it's it's just a kind of an overcast feeling indoors. But that just makes the ice surface pop uh, and makes this a very very loud building when it's full, and uh, often it is full when this is a goals team that's winning. I don't know their attendance this year, but again, 2-13-0 this season. This has not been uh, the the setting that the goals are accustomed to, and the Silver Knights will want to take advantage of that, even though, again, they are a little bit bang- banged up, a little bit thin in terms of manpower, uh, while the goals are getting a bit stronger. But this is a goals team that on paper has uh, looked a little bit more formidable than the box score has. Uh, throughout the season. They do get a little bit of strength on the back end, and last time we saw the Gulls, they actually played with just 19 players. They played with uh, 17 skaters and two goaltenders due to their own injury problems. They had five defensemen. They've gotten a little bit stronger on the back end uh, in terms of of returning to health, uh, as we do expect uh, Drew Hellison to be back in the mix for them on the back end. Colton White is down with the Gulls on a uh, conditioning assignment. Uh, Nicholas Briard's had a very good run on the back end for the uh, Gulls. He's got a point streak currently of six games. Uh, and then the addition of Michael Delzato, who was brought in uh, just before Christmas, the uh, NHL veteran Michael Delzato in a three-team trade that sent former Silver Knight Danny O'Regan uh, out the other way. So uh, some change on the back end for the Gulls, and they're going to hope that they get a little bit of strength uh, because of it. For the Silver Knights, we heard uh, many Viveros make uh, mention of it or, or respond to it. The goaltending has just been otherworldly for the HSK over the course of the last month. Both ends of the battery, Laurent Brassois and Yuri Patera. Uh, and of course, Michael Hutchinson currently in the Spangler Cup for Team Canada uh, in Davos. Uh, not part of the equation right now, but over their last six starts, each, each of them, so 12 games between them, Laurent Brassois, 4 1 and 1 with a .99 goals against average and a .967 save percentage with two shutouts. And, of course, the AHL Player of the Week honors for uh, two weeks ago. Laurent Brassois, it, it's very, very hard to put up better numbers than that. Those are essentially video game numbers, which make Yuri Patera's numbers pale a little bit in comparison, even though they are outstanding. Yuri Patera, 4-2-0 over his last six, 2-2-5 goals against average and .937 save percentage. I mean, just outstanding numbers for both ends of the Silver Knights goaltending equation. And again, if they're going to play tight hockey games, one goal games in third periods, that's the kind of goaltending, again, otherworldly goaltending that they weren't getting earlier in the season that had them on the wrong end of a lot of those one goal results. Now they're finding ways to pick up two points and the man between the pipes, the men between the pipes, a big reason why. We will step out, but when we come back, time to meet our friends at Southern Nevada Health District and Dr. Court Loff, who will talk to us a bit about uh, the partnership with the HSK and what seasonal advice he has for those of you trying to stay above the weather. That's straight ahead on HSK Today. Brian McCormick here with you from San Diego on 1230 The Game, the Silver Knights Radio Network. Now. 
Say my name. Brian McCormick. Back on HSK today, Brian McCormick here with you. The Silver Knights gang set to take on the San Diego Gulls this evening, the first of three straight against the Gulls. But before we get to more hockey, it's time to uh, get better acquainted with a new partner of the Henderson Silver Knights, the Southern Nevada Health District. And to help us do so, we welcome on Dr. Court Loaf. Doctor, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's great to have you. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having us. Well, it, it's so exciting to have a new member of the uh, HSK family. It's been a couple of weeks now that Southern Nevada Health District has been on board. And, you know, I, I always wonder with different companies and different organizations what makes the HSK, what makes really a, a hockey uh, fan base a, a good partnership for them. Why was this a, a, a smart partnership for the Southern Nevada Health District? Yeah, it was a smart partnership for us because we really wanted to uh, try to focus on identifying venues that are family-friendly, where we could uh, kind of promote our public health messaging, uh, specifically around COVID and, and other vaccinations. And, Dr. You know, I, I would imagine that there's so much information out there over the last couple of years because mm-hmm. of because of COVID Um that you could almost get probably some some tune out from people who have heard so much of it and, and maybe just it becomes white noise to them that it's important to to meet them where they are not just to make sure the message gets across but to make sure that you have an audience that's listening yeah that's exactly right you know we're almost uh, three years into this pandemic and um i can i can sense that people are getting kind of uh exhausted with it if you will there's a little bit of fatigue over this but um I think the important thing that people really need to know is that there are some very basic kind of simple uh, prevention messages that we can get out that people um, can can easily uh, adapt to. What do you find, doctor, for uh, sports fans, especially fans that, that want to be out in uh, settings that during the peak of COVID were those mm-hmm. those ex- those really dangerous settings? Now we've gotten back to a semblance of normal and fans are at arenas. Mm-hmm. Again, a, a, a core audience, I think, that you would want to make sure are getting the uh, the information across. Yeah, I think it comes down to a very uh, few very simple uh, kind of steps. Uh, first of all, you know, if you're sick with uh, any sort of illness, especially a respiratory, viral respiratory illness, you want to make sure that you stay home. So as you're not uh, transmitting that to, to other people. Uh, secondly, you, w- you want to wash your hands uh, with warm soap and water very frequently as a way to prevent um, transmission of any viruses, should you have viruses on your hands. Um, uh, you want to be up to date on your COVID vaccinations as well as making sure that you've gotten your, your annual influenza vaccine as well, because uh, uh, both of those viruses are currently circulating right now, and vaccine is one of the best ways that we have to prevent um, people from becoming infected with uh, with those two viruses. And then uh, lastly, you know, certainly we, we continue to encourage people to uh, wear masks, especially in public settings uh, where they're around large numbers of people. Uh, and this is especially true for those that might be uh, elderly or those with um, immunocompromising conditions, uh, both of whom uh, are at high risk for more severe complications from COVID and influenza. We're with Dr. Court Loaf of the Southern Nevada Health District. You, you bring something up that uh, I think is a good reminder for all of us this time of year. I think we everyone right now probably knows somebody who's got at minimum a, a sniffle of some sort. You know, over mm-hmm. the last couple of years, we forget that there's other things out there. 
And I know for myself, around the holidays, everything's so busy and so crazy. Once it's over, it's almost like my immune system says, okay, we're done, we can relax, and let's its guard down, and that's when I get hit the hardest. This feels like uh-huh. a, a peak time to be uh, on your guard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, what we saw after the Thanksgiving holidays was that we saw a little blip in our COVID activity here in Southern Nevada, which is two across the United States. And we suspect uh, something like that may happen again uh, in the next few days or weeks uh, following the, the Christmas holiday and New Year's holidays as well. So, um, again, uh, it's, you know, when, when uh, folks gather together with their friends or families or go to events, there's certainly certainly increases the risk of transmission of any virus, including COVID influenza. So we just want to make uh, sure that people are extra cautious uh, when they are out and about or with family and friends. Well, Dr. Lowe, we're excited to have this partnership with Southern Nevada Health District. Again, with this partnership, fans are going to see a lot more of the Southern Nevada Health District around the Dollar Loan Center when they're attending games. Uh, Anything in particular that they can look forward to this year? Yeah, I, I, I think our, our goal with our, with our campaign, uh, which is called the Arm in Arm campaign, is really to try to provide uh, timely information about COVID, um, especially to the most impacted communities, because uh, we, we do know that information is really the, the key for, for trying to you know, mitigate the, uh, this, uh, this disease. Um, and, uh, and I think that's really what uh, the fans uh, can expect from us. Well, Doctor, we're having our most uh, normal season in the last few right now. We want to keep it that way, so we'll have our defenses up, uh, and we look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. That's Dr. Cordlow for the Southern Nevada Health District. We'll step aside, and when we come back, we'll hear from Chris Peters at the World Junior Championships. That's straight ahead on HSK Today. Brian McCormick here with you on 1230 The Game, the Silver Knights Radio Network. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Patrick. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is Patrick. Is this the Krusty Krab? No, this is HSK Today. Back on HSK Today, we are joined by Chris Peters of Flow Hockey. Chris uh, is the boots on the ground at the World Juniors in uh, Nova Scotia. And Chris, uh, already it's been a, a pretty exciting couple of days at the World Juniors. Broadly, right off the start, uh, what the general scuttlebutt is uh, at the tournament itself as you work your way through these games. Yeah, well, you know, the first first thing is that I think everybody's excited that it's kind of a normal World Juniors. It's at the right time of year. Um, it's not under the threat of cancellation like last last winter's was. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of excitement um, just in terms of the fact that, you know, it's kind of back to normal. There are fans in the building. There's, you know, the players are, are here and, and we've got great hockey going. So there's that. But I mean, obviously, as well, Canada losing their opening game to Czechia has been the talk of the tournament just because no one expected it. Um, you know, I think this Canadian team on paper is, you know, by far the most talented group in this tournament, but you know, that's not how this works. These guys are teenagers. They are not uh, robots. And it turns out that they're capable of not playing up to their, their highest standard. And, uh, and that happened. And I think the other thing that, that people are learning too, is that the Czech team is for real, you know, I, and I, I picked them to medal coming into this tournament. I thought that they, you know, on paper to me, they were possibly, you know, the third, if not, you know, maybe fourth best team overall in terms of talent. And then they, they took it to Canada there, got a couple of uh, power play goals at the end to, to pull away. 
but, you know, largely outplayed Canada at various stretches of that game and, and deserved the win. So, you know, they followed that up with a 9 nothing win over Austria, and now all of a sudden they're at the top of the group, and it's between them and Sweden. All of a sudden Canada's got to play catch-up. So uh, that's certainly a big part of it. And then I, I think another another interesting thing is that Switzerland, not a lot of high expectations for them, uh, but they have uh, started the tournament 2-0 and with a couple of overtime wins, one by, by a shootout, one by an OT. And, uh, I mean, that was certainly not something that I expected myself. So now all of a sudden there's a battle for fifth place uh, in Group B, and it's not probably going to be Switzerland. It's going to be more between Slovakia and Latvia. So uh, that's that's pretty it's, – it's just – it's a crazy tournament how that – you know, how quickly it can turn on you. Um, if you don't get it together and, and Switzerland is, is the opposite they're, they're, they're riding high right now. And as you mentioned, Chris, it was a, a surprising start for Canada on day one, but it wasn't the only team that got out of the gates a little bit slow. Uh, USA won their first game, but they were in a tight one in the third period. Uh, Finland lost in overtime on day one to Switzerland. So it's, it's been uh, not unusual for some of the powerhouses to get out of the gates a little bit slowly. Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. You know, I, I one of my general rules of 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 the World Juniors is whatever happens on the first day doesn't matter. Um a lot. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't tell you what the tournament is going to turn. It, it doesn't say anything about it right. It won't put you away and it also doesn't tell you a lot about the team. Like, do I think Canada is going to go lose the rest of their games here? No, I don't. You know, like do I think that they're 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 any worse not really but i mean the the thing is is that that first day can really um trip you up and i think we saw usa out of the gate slow that's been a constant as as long as i've been doing this it always seems like usa either has a bad first period or you know that they're unless they're playing you know one of the real weak teams they they have had their struggles in the opening game of the tournament even last year in the winter before it got canceled they really struggled with slovakia which was a pretty good team i mean they had Yuri slavkovsky and a couple others but but still, the first game is a very difficult game to win, even if you're playing you know, USA playing Latvia or Finland playing Switzerland, a game that everybody thought Finland would run away with and lost. So um, it's just, it again, it just goes to show you that it's not always predictable. And, and if you don't start on time and if you don't get going pretty quickly, it can get away from you. And, and it had for a, for a couple teams. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I feel like this tournament's going to be a little bit tighter than, than a lot of us expected it to be. You know, I wonder, and we're talking with Chris Peters at the World Juniors, when you look at the criticisms of Canada on day one, like you said, sometimes there's some either cobwebs to knock off or you need to get into the tournament, whatever it is. It's understandable that teams might get off to a bit of a slow start. But a lot of the criticism for Canada after game one is that there was so much, uh, we'll call it individualism, and it's kind of hard to expect <laughs> a team with Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli's not to go out and try to give a little bit of razzle-dazzle, but that's kind of been the, the criticism of how they approached that game. Is, is it a Canada team that has some soul searching to do or just to get a little bit of a, a kick in the back pocket and snap out of it? I, I really think losing that game might've been the best thing that happened to him because it does humble you to a certain extent. Now I don't want to see guys not make plays. You know, I think that they have so many good skilled players. You want to see them try to make plays. You know, actually, at the Adam Fantilli Michigan attempt was actually defended really well because defensemen are starting to learn how to defend that move, and it's basically just hack the guy's stick as fast as you can, um, and if you can get there in time, because it's actually you know it's harder for a goalie to stop that than it is a, a natural wraparound, you know. So it's they, they have to change the angle that quickly, um, but we saw saw it defended well. But at the same time, 
you know, I think Canada had to say, hey, all right, well, we're not going to win this on skill alone. There's going to have to be some work ethic. And that's kind of how they built the team, too. I think that was probably the most concerning thing is that they didn't play to the identity of this this big, heavy team that was going to, you know, kind of roll over everybody. And, and you know, the, the other thing that I think is, is, is worrisome coming out of that game, and again, you don't make the sweeping conclusions, but one thing we knew coming into the tournament was that the goaltending could potentially be an issue for Canada. And it was, you know, unfortunately for them, Ben Gaudreau, the starter, he gave up five goals on 17 shots. That's not going to get the job done at this level, uh, no matter who you're playing. Um, so, so that's going to be a concern going forward. But I, I think that, you know, for, for Canada, the, the issue is less about the skill level. It's just more about bearing down and, and, and getting a little bit of work ethic. And, but, but now, you know, they, they know better than anybody at this point. If you're not ready to go, you get punched in the mouth and you better be ready to punch back. And if you're not, you're going to lose. With Chris Peters of Flow Hockey at the World Juniors. On the U.S. side, again, they got a win in game one. They get Slovakia today. Every World Juniors, it always feels like there's one player. I mean, that's just one player. That's unfair. But there, there's a breakout candidate or someone who's going to really take the tournament by storm. Mason McTavish for Team Canada at a record-breaking pace. But I feel like on the U.S. side, I'm hearing Jimmy Snuggerud's name. An awful lot. Is he that breakout candidate and how much of, of USA's success relies on him? Yeah, he very well could be. I mean, he's, he's a top line player. He's, he's having a tremendous season at the University of Michigan. So he's coming into the tournament hot. He led Team USA with eight shots on goal against um, Latvia in that game. He scored the first goal of the game. Um, you know, he's, he's a player. The reason that Jimmy Snuggerud has success is that he is a, natural, a naturally gifted goal scorer with a lot of grit on top of it he gets to the interior he gets to the hard areas he'll score from the net front he can score from outside you know he's got nhl bloodlines his dad played in, in the nhl um you know dave and so i i think that what jimmy snuggerud is doing now is exactly how he's played throughout this entire season and so you put him with logan cooley and cutter goche who were his line mates at the national team development program last year both of those two guys went in the top five. Jimmy went in the last half of the first round. And he's, you know, as of right now, he's been the most productive of those three players in college hockey and, and then has this great start. So the U.S. definitely needs that top line to be sensational. And, and they need guys like Jimmy Snuggerud and Cutter Goche and, and Logan Cooley to drive the bus offensively. They don't have a ton of dynamic skill up front, but that top line is going to be very difficult to contain. And the thing is, is if that line gets shut down, you know, it's going to be harder for the other three lines to, to produce at the level that's expected for that line. So you really need that group going. And I think, you know, Jimmy Snuggerud is a, a great player to call out as a potential breakout player from this tournament um, because he is going to be so important to Team USA's medal hopes. Chris, you mentioned at the start of this chat, I want to go back to it, the normalcy of this tournament. It's at the right time of year. It's got fans in the stand. It, it's what we build our midwinter calendar around. I do wonder, though, are there any teams that are affected, better or worse, some benefiting, maybe not, maybe it has no impact at all, but from having done this three months ago, does, it, does the fact that we had World Juniors at the end of the summer in any way affect the way teams went into this tournament? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I think I think the teams that it helps, it helps a team like Latvia that, that made it to the quarterfinals last year, that they have had the confidence that they can prove they can do it. They lost a heartbreaker to Switzerland. They were two minutes away from a regulation win, which would have actually put them on the path towards another quarterfinal appearance. And they lost in, in a shootout. Um, you know, they only got one goal on seven shooters in the shootout. And so that was that was tough. That was a tough one for them to uh to deal with. So 
Um, but, but I do think that it helps in that they can, they prove that they can do it. Um, you know, I, I think that it, it also helps some of the, you know, some of the other teams like, like Sweden didn't have a good tournament last year. They've got a lot of guys back from that group um, that, that probably learned a lot from that experience that was so disappointing, um, you know, to, to not, to not medal and to not really be a factor in that tournament to really have their offense go dark. And of course they played Austria in the first game. So that was an easy one for them to kind of get off the, get off the schneid and score 11 goals. But then they only scored one against Germany the next day. So, you know, it's like, it's, you never really know, but you know, I, I think it, it certainly helps to, to a certain extent. It probably helps Canada too, that they have a lot of returning guys from last year's team that understand what it takes to win in this event. But I mean, generally, you know, the world juniors year to year, the teams look so different that it's hard to say one way or the other, but it's, you know, I think because of the nature of last year's tournament, so many guys that maybe wouldn't have been on the team last year got the second opportunity and now they're back this year. So um, any and all experience at this event helps because it's unlike anything else that they'll experience in their career. Well, Chris Peters, let's talk a little bit about Sweden. And you mentioned the uh, Austria's had a, a humbling week thus far. Uh, and with that, the, uh, the a lot of Swedes have pretty good numbers from the opening game of this tournament. But one player who had to be almost pristine in both of them uh, is goaltender Carl Lindbaum, who is a, a Golden Knights prospect. He has back-to-back -back shutouts to start this tournament. And as you mentioned, it's kind of unusual to have this tournament and not have uh, a Canadian or a U.S. goaltender kind of be the focal point of our goaltending conversations, but so far Carl Lindbaugh's been the best. Yeah, and you know there there aren't a ton of drafted goalies in this tournament either, so you know he's he's kind of coming in with a bit of pedigree relative to his peers, and now he gets kind of the easy start. But actually, that game against Germany, he was sensational. Um, they Germany had a couple of power plays. They really started generating chances. They were zipping it around. I was talking to talking to a buddy of mine. He's like, that looks like Canada out there with the. Uh, with the zipping it around in the power play. So that meant Carl Lindbaum had to be good. And his team only got him one goal in that game. And he gave him, you know, the shutout again. So uh, a huge, a huge performance from him, a great opportunity, you know, gets the day off today. So he won't have to play, you know, three starts in a row, but he's going to get, you know, he's going to get the net. And really he was one of the guys coming in that probably looked like the goalie that was going to be, you know, the, as you said, the focal point of the tournament, because, just the, the the pedigree is just not there. You know, last year Sweden had Jesper Wallstedt, who was the best goalie in the tournament for my money. Um, and, and you know, just it, it was it was uh, it it was crazy. I mean, like the 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 to see to see how important goaltending can be. I mean, we saw it with Czechia as well with Thomas Duhanek, who's not drafted. You know, they can steal games, but I think uh, for Carl Lindbaum, who you know he's been fine. Like I don't think he's 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 not like the guy that you're gonna like get all excited about is like the goalie of the future yet but to have a big moment like this to have an opportunity to to step up and and especially in that germany game i thought he really showed his quality and um yeah i mean i i'm, I'm when you get a guy rolling like he is sometimes that can really set the stage for the rest of the tournament i think he's gonna be a tough goalie to beat here we're with chris peters from flow hockey on the Czechia side which uh, you've gone into a little bit as well a couple of uh highly touted VGK prospects, highly touted from the VGK organizational perspective uh, in Jacob Urbanitz uh, and Matias Sapovalov, who signed his entry-level contract the other day. He has three assists so far. This is a Czechia team that overall just feels uh, relentless offensively, that they, they come in waves. They do, and they, they, they have, you know, I think their, their engine that drives it is their, their back end. Then you've got 
the top line and and I always I always trip over his name. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so I I I you know you know when I I'm a writer, so I don't have to say the names that much. So I've been saying I've been pronouncing it Sapovalev, but I think it's Sapovalev. However you said it is right, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, I just want to. So he had four assists against Austria, but in that Canada game, he actually he was their lead faceoff guy, and he helped them establish possession throughout that game by winning a lot of faceoffs, and he was getting those clean clean draws. And then he's got size, he's got two way capabilities, and he's got two brilliantly talented offensive guys on his wings and so he's got to set the table for those guys more more than anything and that's what he's doing and so to see that level of of uh uh of of precision and 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 just his his overall work ethic and everything that he does in the game he's making a positive impact whether he's scoring or not and then he had the four assist game against austria so his stat line is going to look nice and nice and fat as well so that's really good um but uh as far as Verbanitz goes, he's a guy that I really, really liked um, in his draft year. I like what he's doing now. I think that he's a versatile player. He can fit into a variety of roles, and he's one of those guys that has to be, you know, good on the forecheck, disruptive in the, the offensive zone, you know, making sure that the, 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 the opposing team doesn't have a lot of chances to get out. And, and I think that that's, you know, this, this Czech team, top to bottom, they're a threat to go to the gold medal game. Like, it's not just a – they don't just have medal hopes. Like, they are a threat to to go to this championship game. Um, when you beat Canada, you put everybody else on notice. So they can't sneak up on anybody anymore. They're not going to surprise anybody anymore. Uh, but that's – you know, when you have guys like the forwards that we mentioned and, and, and a decor that's as deep as theirs and then you get the goaltending on top of it, you got a chance. And so uh, I'm fascinated to see how the rest of their tournament shakes out because I think they're a really good team. One thing that I think is interesting, we're analyzing all that is, I'm curious about something that is not, the absence of Russia at this tournament, which we understand why it is, but on, on the ice in terms of the, the talent pool, how is that impacting things, whether it be opening windows for other teams or maybe disrupting the balance? I feel like it might be one, I don't know if this for sure, but I assume it's one of the reasons that we're not getting the U.S.-Canada New Year's Eve game that we're accustomed to getting, but, but how is their absence uh, impacting things? Yeah, you know, it, it is, it, it's, it impacts everything in a tournament because, you know, we, we so often talk about the big five. There's usually five teams that have a chance every year. It's U.S., Canada, Russia, Sweden, Finland. Now this year, Czechia has kind of taken the place of Russia as one of the teams that could potentially win the whole thing, um, which is not common. So that's, that's, that's a good thing. But it does open the door. Like last year, it opened the door for Latvia, who wouldn't have even been in the tournament last year if not for Russia being kicked out, they come in, they make it to the quarterfinals for the first time in the history of their program in this, at this level. Now they've got that experience. And, and, and yesterday they showed against Switzerland, Hey, they could be the, you know, if, if you're not careful, they might be the fourth best team in this, in this uh, division. And then he's, they're able to get, or this group rather, and they could make a, another trip to the quarterfinals. So that opens a window for them. It opens a window for Slovakia, like all those teams that now have a, have a, a puncher's chance at reaching the quarterfinal stage. But in terms of competitive balance, you know, it takes away, you know, basically usually another highly competitive matchup, whether it's USA, Russia, Sweden, Russia, you know, like a team like Austria being here, like they, they, they have given up 20 goals through two games and have not scored one. So, you know, we're, 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 uh, I, I, the, I, a lot of people will get really upset about that, but it's also important to remember that they're, they're, 
their best player isn't here. Their second best player is hurt. <laughs> and they and they they basically have not much else after that. So um, you know, poor David Reinbacher, who's who could be a first round pick in this upcoming draft, is minus seven, and it's just because he has to play a lot. And what is he going to do? Um, so you know, I, I think it's 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 not going to be the best draft showcase for him here. But I don't think anybody's going to hold it against him. But but again, the absence of Russia looms in this tournament. It just does. You feel it because you know that. Normally they're here and they're a threat to win gold every every time, but I think that the, I'll be very fascinated to see what path the double IHF takes in the long term here because obviously, um, you know the the situation in Ukraine is not ending anytime soon. Um, I think that the other countries will continue to stand pat, not just not allow the double IHF to to welcome Russia back at any point in the near future. Um, but it is, it does leave a, a hole in the tournament and it's noticeable. And, you know, we would be talking about potentially having Matt Bay Mitchkov here with Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, you know, so you've got essentially the top four prospects for the draft on in this tournament, three out of four isn't bad, but still, it's, you know, you, you notice it and you would love to see those players here. It's unfortunate that, that the politics, um, impact those players, but it's more unfortunate what's going on in Ukraine. And now, you know, we all have to kind of deal with that. Um, the hockey part isn't as important, and I think the double IHF continues to do the right thing by not allowing Russia to compete. Chris, before we let you go with Chris Peters of Flow Hockey, maybe we should have started with this, but I think after the conversation we've had, it's a good wrap. Maybe there are people in our audience right now who are listening and say, okay, I'm aware of the World Juniors, but I just thought of it as a, a peripheral junior Olympics. I've never paid that much attention to it. This is my favorite international event every year because it's completely reliant on potential and the future. This is a, a good preview of the future of the game every single year. What is your elevator pitch for someone who hasn't been following this tournament so far and why they should jump in now? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think that the the entire hockey fans and, and you know, especially AHL fans, you're getting a chance to see the future, the, the very near future of the team. This is a little bit of a longer range view, but it is also you've got, you know, the three top prospects for the NHL draft plus a, many other first round caliber candidates. So if you like following the draft, it's a great way to do that. It's got the you know the the stars of tomorrow. I mean, every notable NHL player that plays for one of these countries that's typically in here has played in this event pretty much. I mean, there are very few that haven't, and so you are getting a glimpse of what the the future stars of the league are. You know, you're seeing Connor Bedard and and Adam Fantilli, and and then you're seeing Logan Cooley for the U.S. Or you're seeing all these guys that are going to have an impact in the NHL within the next two to three years. Um, it's a great preview for that as well. But on top of it all, it's an international sporting event, when, which allows you to kind of wave your flag, um, you know, as, as as vociferously as you want to, you know, have fun with it and, you know, go all in on the on the international competition element. But but to me, I think it's the second fastest hockey you'll see to the NHL playoffs. You know, I think that the, the they're, they're, it would rival a lot of NHL regular season games in terms of uh, uh, that, but then you ramp up the intensity to every game almost feeling like a game seven here um so i mean it, it is it is one of the greatest events on the hockey calendar it is one of the most important events in terms of measuring stick for prospects and and just also just getting a chance to see them in this environment and it is that that preview for the stars of tomorrow so you know i think everybody's always wondering who's next well they're always going to be here at the world juniors so uh, if you're wondering who's next and who's who's going to be the next guy that you need to completely follow and and dive in on you're going to see him at the world juniors so it, it's a phenomenal event great hockey unpredictable results uh, crazy finishes 
it's got it all. And you know, if you want, I, I feel like it's like the the mixture of the passion of college football with the intensity of the Stanley Cup playoffs, with all this other stuff. Like it, it's it's absolutely bananas. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm thrilled to be here for another one of these. It's the best event event for me as well. Um, and I, I can't wait to to see how this one plays out. Chris Peters for Flow Hockey at the World Juniors. Follow him on Twitter at Chris M. Peters and follow him all week long for World Juniors coverage and all season long, the prospect expert getting ready for the draft this spring. That's a ways ahead, but we're always looking forward. Chris, thanks for joining us. We uh, had a great time. We appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that's going to wrap a jam-packed show. Thank you to Chris Peters. Thank you to Dr. Court Loaf of Southern Nevada Health District. Pre-game coverage tonight at 6.30. Puck drop at 7 from San Diego. We'll see you then on 12.30 of the game.